Welcome to the Gary Gallagher Law Hour. Attorney Gary Gallagher and his firm have represented thousands of Hawaii workers and families during more than 35 years practice throughout the islands. Whether helping countless workers exposed to asbestos unknowingly in their jobs, filing suit against gas companies for unfair local pricing, or representing the state of Hawaii and winning a settlement against Big Tobacco, the Gallagher Law Firm helps fight for consumer advocacy and fair play for the people of Hawaii. No Kopono on your behalf. Now, Gary and his team are here to take the mystery out of what they do and answer your legal questions. So here's the host of our show, Mike Buck and Hawaii attorney, Gary Gallagher. Aloha and welcome. Welcome on the board. Uh, glad to have you with us today. Uh, many of you remember back in the day, a really good movie, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Remember, they, they were getting chased by a posse and they kept looking back over their shoulder and say, who are these guys? Who are these guys? So you've heard us talking about Team Gallagher before. That's what we're going to do a little bit. Talk about Team Gallagher some more. And at what point in time in your career, if you're you know, an individual like a lawyer or a doctor, when do you decide to you know, bring on associates, uh, do more things? And, and I guess, for want of a better expression, I'm going to pop this out and see if Gary likes it. Uh, let's say you're the best hairstylist in town um, and you charge 50 bucks a pop. Well, you can only cut... 10 hairs a day, Ten be, no matter how you do it, it just takes that long to do that. And there must be a point in time where you say, you know what, i got to bring some other guys in, and maybe I won't give them the $5 haircut, i give them the $2 haircut. Or I get help so I can give out more $5 haircuts. Um, you, you, you decided some time ago you need to cut some more heads, right? You, you're, that's why it's Team Gallagher instead of just little old uh, Gary all by himself. How you doing? <laughs> you, I mean, you didn't expect that. that, that I certainly <laughs> didn't expect that, but I can see why you're not TV, teaching economics at UH or Harvard. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, I mean, I know that uh, that one of the neatest things is when you're a career-oriented person is to be hired by a good firm and, and become a partner and associate. And then at some point in time, and, and we, I want to review that with folks so they sort of get a, a better grasp on you know, what your whole practice is, is that that's what you did. You, you went to law school, you went to work for a company and that was uh, over 30 years ago, nearing, excuse me, almost 40 years ago. Um, when did you decide, okay, I want to be my own guy. I want to have my own office and I want to have my own people. Well, it just didn't happen that way. It's a little more complex in that I had worked for another firm that mm-hmm. didn't appreciate, you know, what I was doing. Okay. And, or, so I was, uh, de facto forced to go out and start my own business. Hang a shingle. Hang a shingle. Um, you know, do you do you realize now how hard that is to today? I mean, you know, you, when you did that, uh, I, I would imagine that there were still a good number of attorneys in Hawaii that were single, you know, single guys. And there still are some. But hasn't it sort of been taken over for economic reasons and cost of doing business and, and rent and all of that? Most of the time, attorneys' offices here are, are, are a little bit larger. Oh, yeah. the I mean... It, it depends on what you do. There's a lot of great lawyers that practice by themselves, and they're a one-man or one-lady band. They can do it all. Mm-hmm. You know, they can bring in the clients, and they can do it themselves, and they work that way where they like to do every single thing. But, you know, you've explained in other programs that it's not bada-bee, bada-bing. A lot of cases, they take a long time. And I, I can tell you that we all know people that have had the opportunity to do that in their lives. A lot of them are artists and other professionals where they get a couple of nice 
big fat commissions. They make you know uh, 100, 200, 300 grand, whatever it is that they can make a big home run on. Then they get in their boat and they sail away for a few months till they run out of money. Then they come back and do some more. I, I would imagine it's kind of hard for an attorney to do that, especially if he's got a staff. Yeah, certainly. It, it so happened in the business that I ended up, though, I, I figured out fairly soon you really got to know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and it's like a race for the information so right. a race for the expertise factually on the medical side and as i could settle cases and get money c- coming in rather than shut the doors and go sailing mm-hmm. uh i figured out strategies on how to take advantage of the other people's skill sets and more specialized and get better at what i was doing Somebody asked me one time, right after we started our show a couple of months ago, says, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about, about what, you, what you think of Gary. And I said, well, I've known, first of all, I've known him for a long time since before he, had, before he was an attorney, when, back in the day when he was still going to school and getting and figured out. But I'm guessing that, that a lot of people don't understand how important it is to find a specialty area. I mean, you know, the old dock with the shingle outside handling everything that walks in the door are, f- you know, few between. I've met people that work with you, uh, you know, in the medical business, in the accounting business, in other business. You've had to rely on expertise, and therefore you can't go sailing because these people need a paycheck. They're employees. They want to, they want to work. No, all that's true. And it's, it, quite frankly, it turned out that I represented people who had claims were huge and enormous in size but so important to their family. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that kind of half-ass. you got to work really hard at it and figure it out. And to do it right, you need a team. Uh, if someone said they could do these cases by themselves, that's, that's yeah. BS. Yeah. cannot happen. You know, I've actually, uh, now that we've been doing this for a while, I've had the opportunity to, to get to know a, a lot of your team members better. It's And I guess it's it's like a stew. You've got to have the right ingredients. And, and this is something that I suppose you've, you've been able to develop to the point where the competition within the office is friendly rather than, you know, like in some law firms that I know about, big ones, especially the stuff you see on TV, the the the, the associates or the junior partners—they're kind of—they don't like each other that much. No, no, this is way different. I I have a whole different idea about that. I want people around me who believe in the cause and mm-hmm. believe in what we're doing, and realize that everybody has a skill set, and if they're committed and they were they believe in what I believe in and they're competent, we can build around somebody's weaknesses and strengths. As long as they're into it 100%, I'm not, I'm not into having people that just want a paycheck and go someplace yeah. else. They can go someplace else and stay someplace yeah, else. Yeah, but, but still, uh, I do know that every now and again that you must need a certain level of expertise. Somebody really specialized in something. Like, I, I've met you know, a nurse that's been with you for many, many years. Now, this way, Annie can go out and work on her own. I mean, she's a self-starter. She knows what you need. She's going to find a way to get it. Do you have that same relationship with others on your staff? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, for instance, I do well on my feet, and I'm a quick study as far as organizing complex circumstances and coming together. But as far as getting the details, we, we have boxes of documents, mm-hmm. uh, boxes and boxes, and we're getting millions of documents in one case. And I've got... Uh, one lawyer, actually, uh, Elana Waxman, who's on Maui, and mm-hmm. she's so talented, she can work long distance, you know, and come into the office one day a week. Of course, when you got into the business, that was not possible. Not because even. You think somebody was, was moon, you know, boondogging somewhere. You, but nowadays, you know, you're a click away from finding out exactly what's going on. And doesn't that free up people to think? A little bit more? Oh, it does. But everybody's, uh, you know, the younger generation is so much better and so much better equipped. 
on you know things electronic and computerized like Ilana she can go and look at millions of documents and have the computer search keywords and come back <laughs> no i it's a treat i've sat in the office at Wailuku and look over her shoulder for an hour or two and i can make my comments on it but she just pulls it together mm-hmm. so fast it's scary yeah, you know, some of that is software, and I do know that there's there's stuff that, that, like, as you know, my wife's a realtor, and they now have this stuff called, like, DocuSign, where you, you email somebody something, they and it highlights, and, and it puts a script in there, it says, Mike Buck, and, and it's specific to my computer, which means it's it's a document, it's a legal document, and and now that that happens, you're right, uh, I guess you can have a, a forensic uh, you know, a, accountant in in Seattle and a and a nurse in Chicago and somebody somewhere else, and you're just all communicating electronically. Yeah, but you have to have a good relationship. You have to be able to trust one another and know who's doing what and why and where. You can't have somebody that's snoring on the switch someplace. Mm-hmm. You got to be all focused in the same thing. Remember that TV commercial years ago where a guy was in a in a meeting, in a, like a staff meeting, and he was passing out airplane tickets, and uh, and. They, and he was telling you, you've got to go and eyeball all of our cu- customers. You know, we don't email any. We don't just call them up or, or, or instant message them. you got to go out and see these guys every now and again. And, um, and it all started because a company dropped his, his, his firm. And so one of the underlings said, where are you going? He says, I'm going to go see an old friend and beg him to reconsider being with us. And, you know, that was eyeball to eyeball. That's kind of was a, That was actually a smart move. Yeah. A smart move. So, so what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, uh, we, we, we run some commercials and we try to tell people what you do. And it's, this program is designed to put back into the community rather than make the phones ring with, with clients. And, and I do know that you have sort of a way to triage something. When somebody needs an attorney, and let's say just by osmosis, they listen to our show and say, hey, I like this Gallagher guy. I think I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, who, who does what, what happens in the very initial contact in your office? Well, it depends how they come in. Usually, typically, there would be a phone call. And if I'm not available, uh, someone like Clarice Kobashigawa mm-hmm. will handle the matter and get started. And uh, it's all attorney-client privilege. When sure. someone is seeking uh, legal help, that erects this attorney-client privilege. So nobody can find out about that, and the whole purpose is to encourage the truth to be delivered so you know what you're doing. Good point. The the reason I asked is because I'm I'm assuming, because of social media and the fact that we're all electronic now, when somebody knows what they're doing and has a few clients, and and the client has a cousin that has a friend that has a similar condition, that all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of people saying, well, if this is going on and and, and I'm like that, I want to give a couple examples uh, of of things that happen like that you're kind of known uh one of the things you're really known for is 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 the asbestos cases and these very complicated cases you've had for a long time but also with the tobacco settlement for the state this uh this type of work must be you know a lot of work for a long time before anybody writes a check before anything happens so talk about the stain power that you've had to develop to, to do the specialized stuff that you do well, you know, I worked way back when, when I was uh, teaching school in Haleiwa, and I worked as a carpenter, and I put together some real estate where I fixed it up and that kind of thing when I was young, skinny, and handsome, yeah. and now I'm just skinny. <laughs> and energetic. Yeah. And energetic. I had lots of good ideas. So, anyhow, I used that for equity so I could go to the bank and, you know, borrow money. So, mm-hmm. as I've gone up the gradient and handled more and more complex cases, 
you know, the banks have been there for me. I started with Citibank way back when, mm-hmm. but they got gobbled up by others. And I still have that relationship, and it's an p- important part of being able to weather the storm. So, oh, yeah, uh, we have, you know, 25 people that are very, very talented, and they have their own responsibility and obligations, and they look to uh, our whole firm to pull it together. So there's a huge responsibility. So, for instance, on the state, I borrowed millions of dollars from banks to advance all the costs on behalf of the state. Mm-hmm. But I had inside knowledge on how it was going, where it was going to get sure. to. And it wasn't like, oh, this is a good idea. I'm going to you know, throw money out the window and hope it blows back. I knew where we were going and how we were going to get there. And yeah. we had to hire outside expert consultants to scrub and look at all the data from HMSA to give it to the state and figure out how much are the taxpayers really being fleeced by the tobacco industry? Mm-hmm. How much are they really paying that, you know, tobacco costs $5 a pack, but the real cost is, you know, indigent people that are smoking and all these people that are taxpayers are paying people that can't afford for their own medical care that's attributable to smoking. And so we had to do all that research. And it was, you know, over a million dollars just for one set of experts to yeah. figure out the cost. You know, that's what I, and I knew that, you know, for a while. And that's sort of incredible. That's a tobacco thing. Uh, it's the same thing when you worked out a, a way to take a look at uh, the, the way fuel was being priced. I mean, here we are in a remote island out in the middle of the Pacific, and uh, we're at the, at the mercy of whoever gives us any goods or services and uh, you know and you have your puc that's supposed to regulate electricity you've got this group that's supposed to do that but the bottom line is that if nobody it, nobody really really looks out for the little guy because there's too many people making money along the road well you know there's it's it's complex economics on that when it came to the petroleum case we did not get the primary contract we were the local counsel for an antitrust firm, mm-hmm. uh, Spencer Hosey's firm out of San Francisco, and Marjorie Bronster was the attorney general at that time. She selected him, uh, and he came back to us, and we were local counsel. So they were making the decisions in that. I had some different ideas on that. I still have different yeah. ideas on that from the standpoint that it was unfair and deceptive, and the, the deal is this. Uh, the the f- fuel is refined at... Uh, Barbara's point, and us, Joe, you know, consumer is getting jacked up for the price, and it's a very limited market, so it's not, uh, it's a sticky market. The prices go down on the mainland, but they don't go down here so yeah, fast. I should say. <laughs> and then, no, no, but yeah. the, and the big players, they get the sweet deals. You know, mm-hmm. the airlines, they get fuel here for very close to the price to get it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Why can't we do that? Why can't Sure. So uh, I would look at it differently, and we're seeing the same thing here with uh, the conversion from fossil fuels to you know solar power, mm-hmm. solar voltaic, and uh, I don't think we've been treated the nicest by the Koch brothers and people like that around the world that are invested in power plants and yeah. and coal and and you know burning the last. Uh, uh, a piece of fossil fuel before we start looking at sunshine. You know, I was looking at something you get a kick out of this the other night, uh, talking about PV, because many people know I, I have a, a, a company that I do another radio program for that's in that business, and they are so progressive. And it's ironic, because one of their, one of their uh, executives is telling me, it's funny, because this company that is fighting tooth and nail to, to supply power is going to supply the power that you can supply yourself. They're going to put in PV and then sell it to you. What's going to stop them from charging whatever 
whatever they want. Well, this thing called the PUC. But I know that you've even had a look at that. I mean, you've got to take a look at, all right, if we have a, a, a jury of our peers deciding our guilt or innocence, why don't we have a jury of our peers deciding if we're getting ripped off when we, when we no. buy a major commodities like that? No, I agree whole, wholeheartedly on that. And I, I can only say that, you know, that we've embraced capitalism, but when capitalism goes a little too fast for some of these vested powers, they don't like it so much. Mm -hmm. They want it to go through them. So uh, here in Hawaii, we have the highest percentage of solar voltaic um, anywhere in the country, and it's only going to continue that way. And um, I for Papa Sun up there every day, uh, well, giving us a little heat. Yeah, and, and the technology too. You know, we get the really, really cutting edge battery research, and I think we're, a lot of people are not only going to be doing their own home, but are going to be going off the grid completely. And I hope Hawaii keeps leading the way. Okay, let's use something that's sort of in the news. Uh, that, that came as a surprise to many, but you have already looked at, we've looked at defective products, and we've talked about a lot of the other things that uh, that, that, that you do, that the Team Gallery works on. Uh, in the news, uh, big auto manufacturer, long-respected, high resale value, uh, trusted German engineering, wonderful program. Uh, the, the CEO uh, resigns because they they. they they hoodwinked a lot of people for a lot of years about the emission, the emissions coming out of their vehicles, um, and they are already. And I, I was thinking to you when I read this article, Gary, because you've, you, I want to expand on it a little bit so you can explain how this happened. They're already anticipating spending billions to try and right this wrong. And you've told me before that when a little guy or a group of little guys get together. There are attorneys and there are companies that expect, they know their stuff's no good, but they have a fund. They're going to pay some settlements here and there, but nobody's ever going to get to the core. Uh, and you've, you've figured out a way to get through that on some of these big companies. That's, the, that's a real good trick. Well, I mean, you can see from just what you've gleaned from the newspaper reviews of, of uh, Volkswagen and that they figured out a way to program their computer when it's getting tests for the smog test or whatever mm -hmm. to be nice, to be nice, yeah, be nice. Yeah, yeah, be nice. Yeah. And then as soon as you go putting out there, it goes band on, you know, back to brand X and it's just polluting all over the skies. Worse than every other. It, it goes from the best to like 40 times the amount of emissions that you're... you're no, I'm, you know, Dom, Gary, driving along, just thinking about, oh, yeah, how can they make that diesel so clean? Because, you know, other diesels, they're kind of dirty, you know? How come? How come? They can make 50 miles a gallon but you know it's mm -hmm. all invisible uh except their bottom line it was doing pretty good they did so well at volkswagen they bought porsche so yeah yeah the, so all the polluters going through volkswagen he cleaned up their money and they laundered it so yeah i thought back in the day when when we were in the in the in the water like every day uh, whether it was surfing or diving or or whatever that uh you didn't like diesel engines even though they were economical and they ran forever and, the, and it was cheap fuel because it make you sick I mean, you know, you sit back there in a the boat rocking back and forth with diesel fumes coming at you for a couple hours. Unless you have a cast iron stomach, things aren't going to do so well. So all of a sudden, these cars that you used to be able to hear and smell a diesel, now you can hardly hear them and you certainly can't smell them. What's the deal? They figured out a way to do this, but they didn't do it. It was, like you said, they fixed the, uh, fixed the machine like a, a slot machine that pays you off when the... When the uh, gambling commission is there and then they turn that switch off later on so what i'm getting at is that there are i would imagine in your world immediate similarities 
Oh, yeah, this is, it's no question that that was huge. Now, it was a fraud that got incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting read when somebody writes a book or the lawyers get into the discovery, and I'm sure the Department of Justice or EPA already knows that. They probably had a whistleblower or something mm-hmm. that told them they knew what they were doing, and all this test results, everybody getting when they go into the smog check is bogus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't happen, and that was very calculated, and at the end of the day, I'll be shocked if Volkswagen loses money on this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ironic that they're so big, and what they've done is so bad, but, you know, with a with little tweak here, a little tweak there, it'll all go away. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, you caught me flat-footed on this one, and I have not done any homework on it. But the principle would be that, okay, they think they've done the bean counting and they're going to pay $8 billion to fix this, whatever that means. Well, the bean counters really had some multiple of that, that money they made already. So mm-hmm. they're still ahead of the game. I'm not betting against that calculation yet. Yeah, too early. You know, what, what I meant was on that specific one, just an example of what everybody now is talking about and thinking about. Uh, I... I guess in that company to to prove that somebody is a victim or that somebody is injured because of that. You know, I mean, I do know that, you know, science already knows that so many parts per million of this or that in the atmospheres is life-threatening. But these guys may or may not be contributing to that, or maybe there's no core group of people that have been injured. So how do you prove uh, liability, or how would you establish something there? You're, you know, there's there was about ten questions there in that last one, right? <laughs> Uh, but uh, number one, number one, they know that diesel fumes have been associated with disease. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea on how to regulate this. I mean, people grumble about government regulation, but I tell you what, Southern California, California has led the way, way beyond the federal uh, regulators because they did it and they had such a problem they got out in front of it whereas the lobbyists for Detroit and the and the fossil fuel people lobbied and had easier laws but uh, the epidemiology the CDC and the scientists have long studied and known that diseases cluster along highways Mm-hmm. And they look at that, and a lot of it has to do with diesel fumes. Now, a particular case, that's a different issue. That's yeah. much more difficult. By the same token, these regulatory agents like the EPA agencies that are designed to help us are really, really doing their job. And I would, su- I would suggest that the air in Southern California, when you can see the mountains, is really nice. That wasn't that way 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, even till today, and I know you know this because you spend a lot of time on the mainland, uh, you look in the San Fernando Valley on some days you can't see it. You know, and you're thinking, wow, how bad is this? Pretty bad. Well, way back when, it used to be a lot worse. And San Fernando and and uh, out towards Riverside, all those places mm-hmm. were terrible. Your lungs would hurt, mm-hmm. actually hurt. Whereas now, you can see the mountains. And a lot of times that wasn't the, the case. It, obviously, they there were some forward thinkers back there, and he, these California emission standards that they come up, they were tough. But but the 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 industry had to uh, had to adapt. And you know, they want to sell cars, you got to fix them. You got to well, make them better. Oh yeah. So you know, I salute California and all the history they have going into that, and they forced the rest of the nation and the rest of the industry to follow. Because you know, you're not going to sell your Volkswagen. Stop at the at, at Nevada, you know, California exactly. border. Stop, and we're walking now. No, no, you got to make it fit everywhere and go from state to state. So I, we all owe a debt to California for what they've done. You know, uh, one of the things that you're saying before, some of these agencies. How important is it that that people understand that sometimes these layer of layers of government 
no matter what their function is. They say, hey, that, that's all taxpayers costing a lot of money. Um, are you pretty certain that most of these agencies you talk about aren't being gotten to? Because isn't that a real source of information and, and armament and ammunition for a case when, when a government agency says this and you can prove it was that? In other words, is there a temptation for industry to bribe or, or to, to compensate people in those positions? Well, I think it's a little. that's an oversimplification. I'm sure there is some of that going on, but the more typical arrangement is industry hires out of the regulatory agencies or the DOD is the most mm-hmm. you know, obvious where the generals, they park their hat and their stars and they go uh, out and work for private industry. Right. Uh, the big defense contractors, you know, and again, that goes all the way back to Eisenhower. He was all over that because he was, you know, a general. He knew it mm-hmm. firsthand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just the nature of the business in some sense. But that's why we have the Department of Justice and they do great work. But there's just not enough resources to go around and follow it all. And that's why we have whistleblower suits that make that available. If uh, you have somebody that's in one of these agencies and they see it, that they're selling defective concrete, they're defective, selling defective rebar to save money, they're cutting corners, and someone has mm-hmm. access to that information and they can prove it, uh, we've handled a number of whistleblower cases uh, where the United States government actually enables uh, a private attorney general such as ourselves to work with the Department of Justice to get money back from those people you know, or those corporations. One, one thing I've noticed, and I want to make sure that anybody listening uh, goes to GallagherLaw.com to check out the, the types of folks that are involved in the company, number one. Number two, some of the areas that they have, uh, some needs where you can participate. Uh, they're always searching for information and searching for in, for stuff that they need on cases. But more importantly, it gets to, it, you get to kind of see a little bit of behind the scenes like you do here on this program. And I'm not saying, as a matter of fact, I'm saying that it's not just about money. I know enough now that since we've been doing our program and some of the folks that I've talked to at your place, obviously at the end of every case there's got to be compensation companies have got to get paid but i understand that you've gone almost off the grid sometimes with who what kind of cases you select your firm to do and it really is more to do with somebody yanking at your your gut or your heartstrings than than your wallet well uh, you know like uh, you can do that well uh, the first case that came in tristan nobriga and fanny nobriga I just felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, other very, very talented, sophisticated, in fact, the best trial lawyers in the state said, you're going to get killed. You're going to sue 30 companies, and they're going to hire the best 30 law firms. You're going to get killed. <laughs> you know, why are you going to do that? And I, I mean, you can't do that. And I said, I feel sorry for this family, and I've done the research. I found the causation. Asbestos caused that. And... I did the legal research, and there was a case called Carjala out of Minnesota, another one, Burrell, out of Texas. I called around the mainland. I got some sample complaints. I went and talked to all these workers, and we have the same fact pattern here. And I said, I'm not going to turn my back on this. I mean, that's why I went to law school. I mean, William, you know, Richardson, our great Supreme Court justice, I talked to him several times, and he said the law school was the best thing he ever did. And I was a recipient of that, and I told him, thank you. And he says, not in you here. I think it was the best thing I ever did. I involved in all kinds of different things, and this is a gift that keeps giving. 
Yeah, you know, the, but I got to tell you where I agree with you 100% because of the fact that we go back a few decades uh, is that I know that for a lot of people in our government and in our business right now, that law school was the entry to a, 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 a good paying career. Uh, it, it certainly was open door to a lot of people politically. And I guess everybody almost assumes, oh, the guy's a lawyer. He must going to run for office. Has that ever even crossed your plate? Have you ever, ever thought of that? Oh, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine me getting confirmed from anything? Yeah. I mean, man, the, long, the line would be long and undistinguished to testify against me. Yeah. No, no, that's not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I've been around all kind of things. But no, no, I do better than uh, whole molly molly with all these people and come out, figure your own... I like to be crystal clear on who I'm representing and why. Mm, yeah, and, and I, I, I it's just easier for me. Compromises being made on the other side of that, but but there's the same token, and I know that because of your your years in in the uh, in the practice here and the fact that you practice on the mainland as well, a lot of judges are peers that they were in in earlier in their law careers. A lot of the guys that you were on into in court these days are judges. Uh, um, that's another path that a lot of people say. Hey, when I'm done. You know, suing people, I want to sit there and I want to, I want to, I want to mediate. I want to judge. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's all kind of different personalities. What works well for different mm-hmm. people, and some are great, great people to do wills and trusts. Some are great people, and have the right kind of de- temperament to be a jurist or a, a judge. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have very little patience with people that aren't prepared or doing their job right. Yeah. You know, I would say, what, that's all you have to say, just sit down there, okay? Yeah. What, you know, I mean, I get so sick of that, mm-hmm. whereas so many judges are so patient. They sit there and they listen, and, and they're great. I and mean, we have great judges, and the justices that make them, you know, I've known some that have been trial lawyers and then circuit court judge and then on a Supreme Court, and then they're mediating now, and they're superb. They have the right kind of personality that can bring people out and get two sides that look like they're locked and never going to fix it, and they could figure out a way because they're so skilled in that regard. Uh, you, you know, it's not a luxury that you have when, when you're going to go to trial and everything else. But I think that one of the things that people really want to know, because everybody asks me, is, you know, you, you, who sits down to explain to a new client or to somebody that's joining in another a, a class action sort of a thing that you do is how you have to allow for time, how you have to be patient. It's almost like... I don't want to say it's take a number like the old basket and Robin said for you get your ice cream when everybody gets their ice cream before you. But everything that I've learned about what you've been doing, particularly on some of these larger cases, it is a very, very long haul. There's no quick fixes. No, it is. It's just tragic. I, I just came back from a trip on the mainland. We were up in Washington, D.C., taking somebody's deposition and preserving their testimony, their they're terminally ill, but they're fighting against the odds. And this particular person served in the United States Navy for our country and was here at Pearl Harbor working in a machine shop. After that, went up, got an engineering degree, and then went up and became an executive and got a master's degree and then went to Harvard Advanced Business School mm-hmm. and is helping defend this country, working for a big defense contractor, making very serious money, only to find out he got mesothelioma. And where did it happen? Well, search, search, search. The only place he was exposed was here as a 19-year-old sailor fixing gaskets and packing on on, on valves and things that, uh, you know, just look innocuous and then it come back to bite him. So 
he is so organized. He had a business plan to go for until he was going to be 100. I mean, so <laughs> optimistic. And then, you know, planning for his family, all this. And uh, it's an honor and a privilege to represent people like that. Uh, but it's tough because – but once we bring our team together and we assemble people – and really, really represent them, it's it's very, very worthwhile. I, I'm going to ask this, and I know this is going to be tough for some families that may listen, because I do know that some of what happens in some of the cases you've done, because we've talked about them a little bit before, is that it is post somebody dying of whatever whatever they got that justice is done or that something happens uh, to either, I don't want to say compensate them, but certainly address what happened to the getting you know robbed of years of life, years of being with family, children and all of that kind of stuff. Right now, for instance, you're looking at some stuff in the uh, in the in the brain injury department from from uh, from professional sports, from 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 football and from helmets. Um, is that a long haul proposition? I mean, don't you have an awful lot of work to do on that? Oh, it's huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people say I'm nuts. It's like tilting at windmills, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. My uh, vote is, uh, you know, I can have X amount of dollars. I would rather invest in this because I know we can make a difference. I know we can cut down on the number of, of, of brain injuries. And right now, there's several people walking around that can't focus and can't concentrate. You know how people say, oh, I have a senior moment getting old, but they're only 20, 25, 28, 32 years old, and then they start drooling, or they can't find their parking spot. They might be a coach. They might have been a great football player, Mm -hmm. but when it comes right down to it, they could have gone to professional school, but now they can't. They could have done all these kinds of things. Or the the mom's worried about her son, and he went to college. He was an outstanding player. And then all of a sudden, he can't hold down a job or he's showing signs of violence. All these things are related to traumatic brain injury. And they're finding it in kids as young as uh, 18. Well, you just don't go find it. That person got killed in an automobile accident or something. Mm-hmm. They do autopsy and they what is going on here? This mm-hmm. is the brain of someone that's been traumatically injured like a boxer, but it only played in sports. When you take a look at that kind of thing, not, not may, maybe even that specific sort of thing, uh, I'm, I'm, I want people to understand that you've already, you, you have a game plan. In other words, there's there's people within your organization that you you know, okay, this is going to be, 20% of your time is going to be spent on this for a while. How do you make those calls and, and make those decisions? It depends on what's going on. Like, we've evaluated all the stuff we evaluate. Uh, po- potential cases is confidential. Someone might not want to jeopardize their job. Or they w- might want to go to law school. They might want, or they're in medical school. They want to do something, and we'll evaluate this case confidential until a doctor diagnoses this is related to that. There's no statute of limitations. We monitor those. Mm-hmm. They're attorney-client privilege, and we monitor that case. And it's only until we've done all this other work having to do with the helmets and the causation uh, that that case might come out and actually get filed when when you started in your practice uh it was um unheard of for for an attorney or a doctor uh to advertise they just were very very limited in in the amount of advertising the products what's what i think is now ironic is the products that you are now working on that have caused people so much illness are no longer allowed to advertise, and the attorneys are. Do you, do you find irony in that? That if you wanted to get out, and I mean, you could always get, I guess, a, a advertisement 
that there was a public service announcement rather than a call me up, I want to do business with you. But now you've got products that you cannot average, like you can't show somebody drinking alcohol on, on, a, on a commercial. Well, okay, let's get something that's a little easier, tobacco. Mm-hmm. What I know about that when a company engineers a product to make it addictive they shouldn't be able to yeah, advertise. Yeah. I got no time for those people, no time for those executives. Mm-hmm. And that's what's gone on there. They took that tobacco. People say, well, you know, why do you smoke? Well, they figured out on the cancer scare in the 50s that when they studied it, it was the, the nicotine that people smoked for. Well, and they assumed simple Simon it was the nicotine causing the lung cancer. And they started taking the nicotine out. Well, guess what? Nobody wanted to fire, uh, smoke the stick on fire. It didn't taste good. They were smoking it for the pharmacological effect. And the industry figured that out. And they also figured out playing around this stuff that if you uh, change the pH of it, you put something to make it sweeter, it would freebase and get to the vein faster. And then with less amount, and they marketed that. They marketed, they intentionally marketed to get kids hooked. So I got no time for them. I mean, I yeah. would think there should be someplace better for them yeah. than advertising, making more money. But, you know, I, I, I have to laugh because I do know in our business that there were very subtle, um, uh, you know, uh, ideas that these companies had that, that, say, for instance, they go to a guy that was shooting a, a new movie, a cop show or a, a gangster movie or a, a, anything, and they would actually pay uh, for people. Uh, they, would pay, they would actually pay for people. That oh, had uh, that, that that to put their cigarettes on the table, or to put their bottle of beer on the oh, table. Oh yeah, product placement. That. That's, big, product that's big. That's big. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you don't see that like you used to. Anymore. Oh, you do. You just you're just subliminally missing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're uh, getting it. No, no. I mean that's very very sophisticated advertising. Yeah. They're getting their bang for the buck in that. I mean when you put that there and you have how many millions of pairs of eyeballs going to be watching that? They uh, that's big time, and that's part of. Helping with the production costs—that's just yeah, part you know, of it, it, consumerism. It's I do know that there were uh, television series in the past and movies in the past that wanted to to to, to bump up the budget based on what they were going to get. Whether it was a, a a certain kind of a truck that the star was going to drive or whatever, there were these subtle endorsements or you know you you see this guy driving his you know his shiny red so-and-so convertible down the street it was a subliminal deal they were looking at you for 30 minutes to want to get one just like that movie star um i still think though that that people need to know uh when they're going through the selection process what what somebody gets up to and you know you mentioned before that there are people that get very good at what they do and they do it for a reason like maybe um, a physician that decides to specialize in feet uh, that's what he wants to do. If if you got an elbow, he sends you to another guy. Uh, do you sometimes, um, going through the process when somebody calls Gallagher Law up and says, hey, I want you to do this, I got this, I got that, uh, do you have somebody that you refer to or do you give somebody some guidance? How does it work if they if they call you for something that you're, you're not doing at the time? No, I mean, for instance, our office does not do any medical malpractice cases. Mm-hmm. And there are certain lawyers or law firms that are well known for that. They do, they're very, very selective. Mm-hmm. They only take cases that are clear. Uh, and they know what they're doing. And I do not handle those kind of cases. Mm-hmm. And we'll say, you got to see somebody else. And I'll give them three, four names of uh, lawyers that are very, very good at that and have a good reputation. 
and send them out. You know, there's a Cronin Treat firm. There's, you know, Mark Davis. There's a number of lawyers that are very, very good at that. The the reason I ask that, uh, Gary, because I do know that uh, there are a lot of people that complain and want to blame you know, uh, the the law profession or certain other professions for something being so high. When you talk about that area of medical malpractice, some doctors say, I can't afford the medical malpractice insurance. I'm not going to go be a bone doctor anymore. Uh, I, I want people to understand that it's not necessarily the attorneys that are out making their life miserable. They're people within their profession that have made some mistakes. Well, well you know, I mean, mistakes just, you know, if you're human, you're going to make sure, mistakes. Yeah. But with when it comes to that and the cost and how it's presented, that's 99% of the doorstep of the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that take your money, invest it, and they're all making the money on it. Yeah. You go look at the buildings in a big city, it's all got in. Skyscrapers, that's where the money is, and they're getting their return, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And they go around like all these states that have uh, tort reform and that the insurance doesn't go down. Mm-hmm. It's just they were successful there. So uh, I don't think that's right case, at case all. The point, uh, uh, counselor, is the the supposed drain we had of people moving to Texas. Where in Texas they had this, they had uh, eliminated, they had tort reform, and frivolous lawsuits get thrown out. Turns out when you when you read between the lines, there's probably just as many lawsuits as there ever was, but they they are the frivolous ones might be that the, that, that is a term that has been so artfully developed is that right? by oh yeah, yeah. frivolous lawsuits frivolous. judges got no time for that mm-hmm. you go in there and you find some bogus case a judge is going to rip your head off yeah and the other side knows how to do that these stories that you know they make up you know the guy taking his lawnmower and trimming the heads it's all bs yeah, it yeah. never happened that way and that it just snowballs and rolls and mm-hmm. people like to say that oh yeah you know activist judges that's another one or you know frivolous lawsuit they get this wordsmith mm-hmm. and the pr guys for those companies just roll it roll it roll it and pretty soon people saying it got a and it's not true but i tell you what if you're the recipient of that or someone in your family got taken out by you know somebody negligent or grossly negligent or defective product that the company knew about give me a break that's not frivolous by any stretch and when you push the envelope meaning uh there's an emerging area of the law and how do you apply this creatively there's a place for that and i'll tell you what where else do you want to go in the world to be represented uh in a courtroom we have that system here that's better than any other country anywhere you know i'm i'm so glad you've said that because we've actually uh, touched on this a little bit before um is as much as you, you you know you hear the, the the saying all the time well that's the price you pay to live in paradise that's the price you pay of course hawaii is inexpensive but look it's hawaii uh you're talking about the whole country now you've had uh you know you, you work across the across the whole length and breadth of the united states and you've been out of the country as many times too the the when we say we're number one in that area, we kind of are. I think that we have more people looking after our well-being and our old colleagues. If we get if we get somebody does us wrong, there's a lot of ways you can get made right. Oh yeah, and it, you know you have to be selective. And oftentimes, you know, people will come to us and we'll explain what the upside downside are and really look at it factually. And there isn't a claim as much as you would like to have one. There isn't, mm-hmm. and we would if there is, we would love. We, I don't know what the numbers, I haven't kept stats on it, but we look at 5, 10, 15, 20 cases for everyone we take. Yeah. And we generally try to take cases that are too expensive to litigate for one person, but if there's a group, 
we can make it work. I've yes, got that down, down how to be efficient with yes. our time. Yes. We do the medical research, and we can do top-door medical research that we need to to develop experts or cross-examine other experts. And you can't do that in one case or one-off. You just cannot. Yeah. The economies don't work that way. That's why I, I want to keep driving uh, you folks listening to the program of the Gallagher Law Hour to the website, GallagherLaw.com. And I'll tell you why, because you're going to see, you'll, you'll see on television, and I'm gonna, I'll ask Gary this for you right now because I know you're thinking about it out there. You see on television all these ads all the time, particularly late night. If you know this or if you've done that, if you've ever had this or if you've ever had that, uh, call this toll-free number. There are... There are uh, uh, firms nationwide that do that based on on faulty products and i do know that you've worked with some of these guys and and it used to you think that well this is just a, this this guy's an ambulance chaser i i think not i think that a lot of those guys uh are probably saying look there's strength in numbers and if we can get enough people to to share their experience we can help a lot of people here Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, you know, big pharma, they market this stuff, and they, they got it down to a science. They can market anything mm-hmm. that they think is, is they're going to make money on, and, you know, they've done the research, and that's fine as long as they come clean on the downsides of the flaws or they, the side effects that could be devastating. And uh, a lot of times corners are cut because there's a financial incentives for scientists, researchers involved. They get these big stock option are they big you know a big huge amount they're going to make if the product is successful and the marketers know it's going to be successful that's all fine as long as we know the downside but you know some simple remedies can do us well and some of these complex uh, pharmaceutical products come out are really really powerful you know that affects many many organs you know, my wife and I laugh, and I'm sure it's it's a, it's amusing to you and many many others. All you folks listening out there, I don't care what what TV show you're watching anymore, especially uh, networks, and especially at night, and especially on all of the cable stations. You see these ads for health products, for medicines that you just mentioned, big farm companies, big ones, and. It's a 60-second or a 90-second commercial, 30 seconds of which tells you that it's going to cure you. And then for 60 seconds, you got to listen to all the yabats and all the things that could happen to you. This is, I'm imagining, been brought out by big pharma companies because of the necessity of making sure that they... And they know, isn't it, isn't it, is it safe to assume that they might say it, it could cause death because they know it could? Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of things that have been developed. And the, and uh, when they go out, they send it out to be tried. And, you know, 99% of the time, Big Pharma knows the problems. And uh, they have a business, and their obligation is to their stockholders. But they have an ethical obligation, a legal obligation to every consumer in the United States mm-hmm. or worldwide, actually. And that's what we rely on. That's fine. I'm happy when people make a lot of money and they're successful. And, you know, they're smart, and they've developed something great. But please have the decency to tell us about the downsides. What do you have to worry about? And how do you really make an intelligent decision? Because oftentimes, you know, you get older people and they're watching stuff on TV and they go ask the doctor or, you know, somebody else in the family making a recommendation. We're entitled to the best advice and honest honest disclosure that's all we're asking for. i would imagine that if if there's a doctor out there listening and i'm sure there are that they would they would corroborate this right away they would be la- they would be hesitant just because something's being advertised solid every night on television without doing a little bit about it because 
somebody's going to turn around and say, well, why did you prescribe that for this person when this person had these things were counterindicative to that? And I'm just guessing that everybody's learning a whole lot more about these big pharmacy companies because of these ads that are running. Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, there's a whole cluster of things that tend to come out, and they're oftentimes around a fact pattern that involved a pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. And then when they're looked at, I mean, don't get me wrong, a lot of these drugs are all close to miracle drugs to what they can do. But for whatever that percentage is, however small, if it's devastating and it's your mom or dad or yourself or your child, wait a second, I want to know about this before we just go step off on okay, it. Okay, let's, and let's make sure that people under, understand why. We, we keep talking about Team Gallagher and going to the website, GallagherLaw.com, and, and doing all this stuff. But this stuff didn't just all piece together like a deck of cards that a dealer shuffles up in Vegas. You had to have the, you know all of these different uh, aha moments uh, throughout your, your practice where you said, I'm going to bring, I know what we need to, to go forward with what this guy's brought in here, what this mom and dad have gone through with their problem with their child or with themselves we're going to need to get some real we're going to we have to like the guy on tv the chef says we got to wrap you know we got to kick it up a notch we need more help a lot of notches because the other thing it comes with experience we have you know i have uh, three four people five people in my firm that have been with me about 30 years or over 30 years and we've seen a lot of successes, and we've seen a lot of problems along the way. We can anticipate those, and we mm-hmm. want to honestly understand, is this a problem? How do, how do we get around it? How do we honestly address it? So, yeah, that's, that's what we can bring to the table that's very, very valuable. Do any of these things ever go away? Uh, let's go back to, to what when you really first started putting your team together and, and, and getting people on board uh, during, the, uh, during the asbestos uh, uh, part of your 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 company i i see down there you know um uh, uh, objects of the of the industry that you've got there that you have on display uh i guess that that we're using a lot less of this i hope in 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 many cases uh in in our country anyway but it doesn't look like that's ever going to go away that this is going to be until they stop using that stuff an ongoing issue well, you think about it. It has a long latency. It can take 30, 40, 50 years to develop. You can stop using it today. Mm-hmm. 50 years from now, someone could still get the disease because they used it today. It's not generally a one-day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's several days but or several weeks, but it can be a very, very short period of time. But, you know, you see the... Uh, artifacts we have whether it's pieces of equipment you know seven or eight hundred pound valve where the packing and gaskets are there where it was how the valve worked and if someone was a marine machinist or a mechanic even though it was for a finite period a summer job even uh you know we've represented uh the professionals I uh, represented someone at the IRS that just had a, a summer job, mm-hmm. you know, doing yeah. renovation in homes. And they go off, and then all of a sudden, where did this come from? You go back, you can trace it. Somebody and that's what we do. Me, somebody said to me after they listened to a program that you and I did a while ago on, on asbestos that you can be working side by side with a guy and for the same amount of years, in the same conditions, he's 100% healthy and you get a terminal disease. So a lot of that is, I guess, selective immune system or whatever. But isn't it also true that almost everybody gets affected if you stay with that material for a long time? It's just, it's probability. The longer you work with it, it's dose-related is what Mm -hmm. they call it. 
the higher the probability, the higher exposure, and the more you did it, the higher the chances of you getting that disease. So in like a trade like insulators that actually worked with asbestos insulation, 8 to 10% of that workforce gets mesothelioma, another percent gets uh, lung cancer, another percent gets the diffuse interstitial fibrosis or the scarring of the interior, the really delicate parts of the lung, that's known as asbestosis when it's caused by asbestos. Another group gets uh, the thickening of the lining of the lung or pleural disease. Another group gets uh, elevated risk of... uh, uh, cancer in the digestive tract. Mm-hmm. So it's devastating. I know you've handled all facets of this in the years that you've been doing this. Uh, are you satisfied that the medical profession, when somebody goes in with a symptom, is getting diagnosed quickly enough to get off to a specialist so they can get at it? Is there enough history now and enough info out there so that the new medicals or, or a doc can say, this guy this guy probably has an asbestos-related disease. I think we have, you know, comparing around the country, I think we're very fortunate in Hawaii. We have really high-quality medical care generally, and the doctors who recognize this, they get someone to a pulmonologist or a specialist or the oncologist, whatever. So the vast majority of the clients we see are getting excellent medical mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. The tragic part is it's a horrible, horrible diagnosis as far as uh, mesothelioma, there is no cure right now. You see, I need you to really highlight and underline that. One of the things is, and I've seen it in in the emotion in yourself and in some of the folks in your firm, that the real real problem with this is when you've got it, it's, 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 it's it's, it really is life-threatening that you cannot get fixed. Well, it's, it's more than life-threatening. It will, at least in a mesothelioma to date, kill everyone that gets diagnosed. Mm-hmm. It's a question of how long they can survive. And fortunately, again, there, I, too, have been educated in this regard with respect to hospice at the very end. What a wonderful, wonderful profession. Uh, and, the, and the professionals involved in that give so much good palliative care and help families. Um, but earlier and before that, uh, there's different options, and the patients have to explore that with their physicians. So, uh, yes, uh, we have wonderful pulmonologists. I just saw one today that I had worked with for years and years and years, and superb doctor mm-hmm. uh, and we're lucky to have that caliber of medicine I, I guess maybe we're lucky in that respect here in hawaii that that this problem was and, and let's face it a lot of it was shipyard we've done it you know we've had a lot of that over the over the decades is that it's created a niche for the specialists that can can follow their their passion by by having a lot of a big patient base well, you know, they're just different doctors. They're are very, very good at what they do, and they follow in order to be really good. Uh, they just continue their education and sophistication, and that's what you want for your family. You want to seek the best there is out there. In in and that's why we're doing the show because that's 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 the, the the value that I placed in you and your team. And what as a parting shot today, I want people to go to Gallagher dot uh, dot com. But I want you to be able to tell them in in your own words. Look, if you pick up the phone when you call us, you're going to talk to somebody that really actually gives a rip about talking to you. Uh, it's not a factory, and that's a big difference between you, the guys that I've seen at your place and 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 maybe some others. Well, I, I that comes with the territory that we all know 
what the vision is and how we want to interact with our client base and how serious, serious these claims are and how we can really, really do a good job uh, if we're all doing everything humanly possible. And, and don't be we intimidated, do right? Call up. Don't be intimidated. You know, a telephone call is not going to be a painful experience. We can promise that. Aloha, my friend. Nice seeing you again. And folks, if you want to know a little bit more, here's what you got to do. Do like I do. Go to Gallagher Law. That's G-A-L-I-H-E-R, GallagherLaw.com. And we'll see you next time on the Gary Gallagher Law Hour. Well, that's our program for today. And we certainly hope you'll come back next week for our next episode. In the meanwhile, to learn more about Team Gallagher, log on to GallagherLaw.com. That's G-A-L-I-H-E-R, Law.com.